What up, young slumlords and ladies? This is Jake Lapp, and welcome to the Young Slumlords Podcast, where me and Caleb Henshaw talk our shiz and hopefully help spark the idea for finding your financial independence in this paycheck-to-paycheck world. What's up, everybody? It's Jake Lapp, and welcome back. This week, we had someone reach out, a friend of mine, and he had some questions that you know, we, we broke down a lot of numbers with him and went through a couple of different situations. And his situation seems like a super common situation for a lot of guys our age. And that situation being like, hey, man, I just graduated college six months ago. I graduated with $60,000 in student loan debt. Um, I've, I got a job. I'm working. I'm making 50 grand a year and I'm living at home. So what he's been doing so far has been really hammering his student debt, you know, paying as much as he can every month. And he's gotten his debt down so far to 39,500, you know, 40 grand to make it easy. And he sees it doable, like with his salary and stuff to continually contribute and overpay on his student loans at $2,000 a month. He sees that as super doable. So he was like, you know, I really want to get into real estate investing. I've been thinking about this a lot. Like your guys show has like made it kind of clear, like this is what I think we should be doing. But he's, he's kind of torn between should I keep hammering my debt? Should I buy a house? Should I save for the house? Like, you know, what, what would you guys do? And his situation is a little different. So like in a year, his parents are either going to charge him rent or he can get his own apartment. So his plan was to get an apartment, keep paying his student loans, and then, you know, hopefully be done with that and then start saving to, to put a down payment on a house. So I, we ran through two situations with him. First being his current thought process. Okay. For the next year, he's able to put $2,000 a month towards his his student loans so 2,000 times 12 is 24,000 he started at 40 24,000 later he's down to 16 then when that year's up now he's got to start renting so now we said okay let's say you find a real cheap spot let's say a thousand dollars a month now thousand dollars a month can now this the same amount he's still got that two grand that he can either put to something or spend you know on, on whatever so we're saying a grand a month towards his rent and a grand a month towards the remaining 16000 in student debt. So that means in 16 months, he's done. In 16 months, he would have, he's staying in an apartment, pe- continually paying $1,000 a month. And in 16 months, so from, that, from now, a year, 12 months, plus 16 months, 26 months, his student debt is paid off and he has nothing. And so now he's back to square one where, okay, now I can start saving for a down payment on a house. So now going forward from there, he's still paying a thousand dollars a month. He still make, has 2000 a month to go somewhere. So 1000 going to rent 1000 going to somewhere else. So now he can save a thousand dollars a month. So now in order for him to save 20 grand, it's going to take 20 more months. So with his situation from now, Till he has 20 grand saved up to put on a down payment, it's 46 months. It's a long time. 
that's what's that almost four years two yeah. months short of four years yeah so in four years from now he could get started in real estate investing if everything stays the same and the, you know there's tons of variables he could get his income up and we talked about other options on that but that's situation one and that's i feel like what a a lot of people try to do. That's their thought process. But in those four years, that's when you get a girlfriend. That's yeah. when you get married. Get that's when yep. you get a kid. And like when all those other variables are happening is the, the entire reason why people don't invest in real estate. Because those, those you know, luxuries of a family aren't free. They're, they're expensive luxuries. You know, have, having a child having a wife, ha- you know, doing that kind of stuff, it costs money. Now you need to rent somewhere bigger. So now his expenses in those four years are going up as well. There's less room to save, more expenses going out. It's harder and it traps you in that paycheck to paycheck thing that we're trying to get out of. And like, unless you're extremely vigilant, you're going to increase your living standard as your income increases as well. So like, as you make more money at your job, you end up finding new opportunities to spend that money and it's justified because you're making more money. And that's like a subconscious thing that all of us do. We have every opportunity in our society now to spend more money. It's just like the thing to do. So unless like you can really hash out a specific plan where you're saving X amount of your income every single month first or right when you get that check, you move it to a different bank account, don't even touch it and never look at it. You know, you're going to have a lot of temptation to spend that money. So that's that's a tough spot. And, you know, over four years, who knows what could change? You know, that's a long time to plan something out for something is just buying one rental property. And at least like I've actually been in a similar situation myself when I got started, I had student loan debts. I was having to rent from my parents because they needed the money while I was staying there. And I can just say from my personal experience, when I looked at this exact same scenario myself, I just bit the bullet, stayed with my parents and paid them the monthly amount because it was multiple times cheaper to pay them rent than it was to pay some random landlord somewhere $1,000 a month. I was only paying $350 a month for them. So it's like practically nothing. And when I moved out after saving, my expenses are covered by my income. So I'm actually now saving money. Right, right. So he didn't get into like what he was going to pay his parents for rent. But if we you know, we could change that whole formula now if, but you don't want to, you, you want to move out. We're at that age, you know, you want to, to be able to get out of the house and like, yeah, no, take advantage. If your parents aren't charging you rent or they're charging you a cheap rent, like, and you're able to save during that time, that's awesome. But there's going to be a point that you're going to hit that like, you know, life's continuing to go on and you don't want to keep living at your parents' house. That's yeah. just normal. Yep. And that's how it should be. You know, our parents, no one stayed at home on past when they were 18 years old. Like that was just, the normal thing. So like our generation has been a little more, you know, lax on that. Yeah. And um, there's so many factors included there. Like we don't want to like throw shade on anybody staying with their parents. Like sometimes it's just the, the cards you were dealt and you're going to have to stick with it until you can save up enough money to move out. And there's no shame in that. Like it is a terrible idea to go out and rent an expensive apartment just so that you can say that you're not living with your parents anymore and then get stuck in a lifelong trap of being like stuck paycheck to paycheck forever. A hundred percent. So there's no no shame in staying with your parents until you have enough to purchase a, a rental property. It's just it's just numbers at that point. And that leads us into option two, which would be paying the minimum on the student debts, just bare minimum. 
as little as you possibly can and then saving as much as possible. Right. So, so for this instance, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to not have student debt. I don't know what the minimum payments are and, and stuff like that, but I, we kind of talked it out and it's like maybe like 300 bucks a month is considered the minimum. And we're going to use that for, um, situation two, like this other side of things. So like in situation one, we have our end result, 46 months from now, enough money saved up to put a down payment on a house. Situation two, what we're going to be doing is making that minimum payment of $300 a month. And he's still got that same two grand. And so now he's able to save $1,700 a month. And over the course of the next year, in 12 months times 1700 is $20,400. You know, making that $300 payment towards his student debt, that brings his 40 grand to like 36 and some change, 36,000 and some change. So he barely touched his student debt during this time by just making those minimums. But he's got 20 over 20 grand in the bank and we're going to go over an anal- uh, a deal analysis later, but you know, there's deals where you're able to put 5% down on a duplex and have your mortgage covered. If not, you know, making a little more off of the, that 20 grand. So in a year now, he would have the ability to put a down payment on a duplex. And for this instance, let's say he's cash positive $200 a month. So now he's got that same ultimatum that, okay, you've got to either rent from us or move out and find your own place in those 12 months. So now he's got enough money to put a down payment on a duplex. He he gets in there and now he's living rent-free, making $200 a month. So now his two grand that he was able to put down onto his student loans now turns to 2200 a month that he's able to put on his student loans. So that for doing doing that 2200 a month for what did we say? 36,000 he had left. So 36,000 divided by 2200 is 16.36. So in 16 in 17 months from then, his student loans are paid off. He's been living for free, making money, building equity in a property and has a jump start on everyone else who did situation 1. So now going forward cuz we're looking at 46 months for situation one to get to where he'd be at 28 months. So the 12 first months and then 16 months later is 28 months. He's he's skipping close to two years. It comes down to like, simply put, option one of paying your student loan debt first just makes it so that you have no way to leverage your money to leap forward in your financial position versus keeping the loans that you have and just pushing them off as long as you can to then save up money to then leverage it for a house. Like when you get a mortgage, you take say 20 to $30,000 and then you turn it into control over $200,000. And that like that leverage there is what really makes it so that you can like take a financial leap forward. And having the second option where you just save up all your money as much as you can to buy a house and like Granted, if you are in a, a, living with your parents, that situation, you can, you know, I'm sure you could talk to them and be like, hey, like, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to be going forward. This is what I want to save up to and set myself up for life with rental properties. 
you know, unless your parents are like really strapped for cash, you know, they're going to give you some leeway on how much money you're paying them because, you know, they want to, you know, most likely see you succeed yourself. Yeah, so. not, a, not all parents are like that, <laughs> Yeah, maybe not, but. Definitely some. So, so now in going to that same 46 month standard, if nothing else changed, if, if he's making the same income, he's still able to save two grand a month. Now 2,200, he's living somewhere for free. Now at that same timeline at 46 months, he now saved up 40 more thousand dollars. So not only like, not only does he have a house that he's building equity in some passive income coming in some his student debts are paid off in both situations, but now he's got the money to go into the next deal in those extra 18 months. So now not only is he, you know, being able to save a little more living for free, blah, 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 which is all great. Now he has the freedom to get into the next place. And like, you don't need to, to scale a real estate empire. If you have one rental property, that's a lot better than none. So let's say he decides to buy his single family house next. At that same time frame, when he's got forty grand to put down, now that that forty grand is not only giving him the down payment for the next house. Now he can rent his old unit out. So now that cash flow is going from two hundred dollars a month to let's say another the grand, say twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, another let's say another twelve hundred bucks. So that's fourteen hundred dollars a month in passive income from that one property, that one smart decision that he made, and that's paying his mortgage on. His primary residence. Now he doesn't have to keep flipping houses, flipping rentals to get this passive income up to where he wants to retire. He could, you know, that's what we're doing. That's that's a great goal to strive for. But if let's say the first one was a little more work, or you know, he just wants to chill and have a family, his rental that he decided to do at you know in his early twenties is now affording him a thirty-year mortgage at his primary residence. That like is not the luxury that everyone has. Like, unless you have another stream of passive income, which, you know, that's great if you do, but not a lot of people do. He's living for free now, paying off two houses off of the rentals from one house. And when I look at those two situations, it's like, what would make someone choose situation one? And like, he's like, have you ever heard of Dave Ramsey? And I'm like, Yes, I have. <laughs> and Dave Ramsey is a great resource in getting rid of debt. He's a huge advocate for getting rid of debt. It's it's something that, you know, is killing the American people. But at the same time, if if this investment that you're making is bringing in a greater return than the interest you're accruing on your stu- whatever debt, that's a better investment. Your the interests are balancing out and you might be growing a little less. But it's still more than just making those minimum payments. And this is important to like clarify. We're talking like student loan debt with like a lower interest rates topped with, you know, federal forgiveness right now with the COVID acts that are coming out, like prolonging interest. If you were to say I have $40,000 in credit card debt at 28% interest, different. completely different story. You know, there's no way you can make the minimum payments on that and then still make good decisions with the money you save up. Like the interest rate is so high that trying to get a real estate investment that pays more than 28% interest would be very difficult to do with a low down payment. So, you know, this is geared specifically towards students with student loan debt with the lower interest rate. And like I said before, like 
people aren't required to pay interest right now on their student loan debt. They're, they don't even have to make the payments on the student loan de like debt itself for however long this act is. They just passed the stimulus bill today, so it could be even longer. You know, there's a lot of other variables involved here with calculating which is the higher opportunity cost, but you know, with Dave Ramsey's all debt is bad, you know, that's not necessarily, you know, the case with a rental property, you are making your money work for you. So instead of giving all your money back to the bank for that student loan, just keep it, save it up yourself, and then make it work for you, create an income snowball instead of a debt snowball, start working towards making that income snowball that you can use to build up more money coming in monthly, that you can then create more income coming in through more properties. So it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And then next thing you know, you're financially independent. Yeah. So his then, after we, we talked a little bit about Dave Ramsey, he was like, this seems too good to be true. It seems too easy. And I really wanted, because sure, when we write it down on, on paper, or like over text or whatever, it sounds easy. It's like, oh yeah, you just save two grand a month and then you have 20 grand. And then, you know, you just buy a house and then it's, automatically making you all this money that doesn't seem right and he's right it's not that so it is that simple but the feeling yeah, involved there's no, in it there's the, no emotion factored in that right, spreadsheet right. whatsoever and and the work that you're going to be putting in you know at buying a place at this price range that's going to make this amount of money there's going to be some work required in that property i can guarantee and like if you're not handy, if you don't know, but like we've talked about a million times on the podcast, like that's something you can learn, but it's like, do you want to learn it? Like if you don't, and it's like, now it's unreachable because the rehab cost is going to be more than you can afford. It's going to be more than that 20 grand. Like you can't afford to, to pay someone to come out and put new floors and paint and new plumbing and all this stuff. But if you choose to do that, it's very, it's super affordable. And it, you can do it kind of on your own timeline, especially if you're living in the worst unit, which is what we suggest. So like, it's not talked about a lot, but like that couple months where you're looking at houses, you're putting an offer in, you're getting your offer accepted, the paperwork that's required in there, finding a tenant, doing the rehab, like that three month window for my first deal. And I know for Kale's first deal was the most stressful time in my life that I can think of. It was up there. Definitely. Because there's nothing, there's no easy solutions to anything. Yep. Like if, if there's a, a significant problem, I think they, someone was just on a podcast I, I was just listening to, but they were saying like, if the harder the problem, the, mo the more you will reap from figuring it out. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, of course, like you're not going to find financial independence by just like doing the bare minimum, doing what's easy, doing what, you know, isn't risky because that's, that's not how it works. You, you have to put that time in, put the effort in, put the, the long nights, like the nights that we're sleeping on the carpet. There's no furniture. You just worked until 3 a.m. and blow up that air mattress and yeah, I'd call it a night and then wake up in the morning, start over again. Like exactly. Like that's not talked about a lot. You got like, when you start this process, you have probably like if you are handy, maybe a three-month sprint. If you're not handy, this is your first time, probably like a five-month sprint. And you're going to be going, you know, all in 
every day trying to research as much as possible, working as much as possible. Like from my personal experience, I started this whole journey in August of 2020. I got, I was like, you know what? I think it's time. I got enough money saved up. I need to start looking at real estate. And I was on the fence actually initially back in August of last year. I was like, is it, you know, do I want to deal with tenants? Do I want to deal with that whole process of renting or should I just buy a single family house and just live there myself? Live paycheck to paycheck yep, forever. Forever, yeah. Why not? And I was like, you know, that sounds pretty tempting to live paycheck to paycheck forever. But I was like, you know what? The numbers make sense on the rental. I'm just going to do that. And I just middle of a phone call with my mortgage broker. I'm like, you know what? Never mind. Let's do a multifamily. And like... Then that well, then it like kept going from there, and I was like learning more about it. We found places, put the offer in, boom, 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 got the house, and I'm like, holy crap! Like I have no idea what I'm doing. And then you have to just work really hard every single day to get it done. And we bought it in September. I wasn't moved into this place till January first, so it was like you know it was a lot, a lot to do. And I still have stuff to do. Once it warms up, I got more work lined up to do. So it's like it never like it's not like get rich quick. It's a get rich slow. So that's yeah. not like you can just say, oh, this seems too good to be true. You know, you're going to be in for some trouble if you think it's going to be like, you know, super easy, but it's all worth it in the end. And I haven't, I haven't listened to any like motivational speakers in quite some time, but one that I, I used to was Les Brown. And he, something that he really preached a lot was like, you've got to want whatever you, you want more than you want to breathe. Like that direness, that true um, pull to like, achieve whatever goal you're trying to face like sure living paycheck to paycheck is easier i wanted to not live paycheck to paycheck more than i wanted to breathe like seriously like i that the overtime that i was putting in the amount of work the the time that i wasn't getting to spend with friends and relax and do what's easy that easy lifestyle choosing to do the hardest lifestyle just for the it's not even like a just for this it's like for the reward of not living paycheck to paycheck like 88% of Americans like there's work involved and as soon as like that desire that desire doesn't come to people early a lot of times especially like you just got out of college you just got a new job like things ain't so bad Mm -hmm. and like it's so easy to fall into that just this is what everyone does. And it feels like you're being productive, you know, going yeah. to work every single day. You know, you're making your mortgage payment yep. maybe if you own a house and like, yeah, you know, in 30 years, I'll I'll own this place. And then 30 years comes, you're gearing up ready for, you know, you're 40 years old, say, before you're paid 60 years old. You're like, I got retirement around the corner, 40, 50 years old. And then you're like, my 401k is only going to last us, what, three, four years before we're completely out of money if we live at our current means. So we're going to either have to step it, like downsize exponentially or, you know, win the lottery if we want to stay where we're at. And then they're like, how do I make money? Maybe real estate. And then they dive into it. And that's that's later. the average age of people investing in real estate is like 45 years old because they're seeing it late. And if you talk to any real estate investor that started when they were 45, they're going to tell you they wish they did it when they were your age. Like they're going to wish like if I knew about this stuff, if I had that dire need when I was 20 years old and I had the energy and the means to do those 3 a.m. nights and to do all that stuff, like I wish I took advantage of that, you know, and we've had guests on that have been doing it with kids and stuff. But like to do that before you have that going on, it's uh, it's this is the time. Yeah. And, and even if like you don't have that desire more than you want to breathe but you real realize the benefits 
of the timing. Like it's it's a it's a long game, and the earlier you get involved, the more fruitful it's going to be. Even if you have like a really high paying job now, like just setting yourself up for the long term income snowball. Like your W two income is only going to grow so fast unless you're like really switching jobs often and you're growing new skills constantly and just working your way up any corporate ladder. You know, you're going to be at a set trajectory of income increments. And then, you know, why not just spend a little bit of extra time now while you're young to build yourself a foundation of growable passive income? Because your time isn't required here. It's just there's ways to make it so that you're not spending all your time, you know, switching out toilets and stuff like that. It's just a foundation that you can set now. And all it takes is just some creative financing now, some saving up, some planning, a couple of conversations like with your circle of support now, finding anybody who can help you out in that journey and just trying to get started. Because like I said, for me, I, all I had was just money saved. I didn't know anything about it back in August. And after just reading constantly, it just, it all comes to you and it all just makes so much sense. Yeah. So we, um, we came to the point that it was just like, he, he understood, like, he got it. He wanted to do more research. I sent him a bunch of books and stuff, things to start reading, resources to start learning more. And, like, over this next year, you know, for anyone, whether you're hammering your student debt or saving up, that's the time to be doing all these resources with your downtime, to be reading all the books, to be learning all the things that you want. Like, I'm so sick of listening to ads on Spotify and <laughs> Apple Music because I'm a cheap person that like refuses to pay monthly subscriptions to anything and i hate it so i listen to podcasts because they're they're not interrupted with ads and well there's they have skippable ads from the skippable ads i just think that it's the amount of time if if i chose to listen to music because i I love music you know I, i like listening to music but if i spent all the time that i've put into books and podcasts listening to music like if you add that up, the amount of hours I would have listened to ads, it's like days, <laughs> like days worth of ads and the the benefit of like the knowledge. And, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't retain as much when I'm listening to something. I think it's proven that you don't retain as much in, opposed to reading it. But just picking up one thing, two things per hour, one new piece of information, one thing that like supports this idea that you're thinking something that you can now implement into your plan it's so it's so valuable i think for me personally it's the bringing up or like the spotlighting of specific topics to then do your own research on that you like you're not gonna like have a whole entire book of information you know from a single podcast on one specific topic or strategy but you get shown that strategy that you can then look up talk about figure out more about and see if it works for you personally and like that works really well especially when you're in the car driving listen to a podcast i recently like since i work from home now since covid i don't have a commute anymore i used to have a a commute of 45 minutes there and back every day it was great for podcasts and now i don't have it anymore so i have to find new time and i actually just started doing it at the gym when i'm like just warming up getting ready to like before i start really getting into it i listen to podcasts and then as soon as i need to like you know, really push myself. I have to turn on podcasts because Brandon Turner doesn't pump me up that much. So (laughs) (laughs) I got to switch it up a little bit. But yeah, the um, and I did it more in the beginning. But having a like a notebook or your phone open when you're listening, even I know it's dangerous. and I'm not telling you to text and drive. 
but having a little note app up and like, oh, they talked about this, writing that down real quick. Just a voice to text. Or a voice to text. Look at look at that. I don't even know how to work that on my phone. So <laughs> you just hold the space bar. <laughs> well, whatever. Um, but do like now you can go back and like recap on each thing that you learned. Even if it, it literally, if it's one thing, to now reinforce it in your head, like read it back. I I want to plug this, and I don't want to talk about this episode too much because I actually just reached out to to the guest, and I I'm hoping to get him on on our podcast but on bigger pockets the, their most recent episode 448 go listen to it if you haven't already you know download bigger pockets go listen to that ep- episode and it it matched a lot of my thoughts and my strategies and things that I've been trying to implement with a ton of useful tips I finished the episode and ran it right back I played it again and this time with the notes and I had a whole sheet full of notes of stuff that I can implement into into my strategy into growing my business and like that. Um, I mean, the key word from that episode was just he's super lazy. He says that over and over again, but he's built up enough passive income over the years with the family at the same time to then sub- supplement his income from his W two, so he has re- you know reached financial freedom. And it's yeah, it's a really good episode. He's got a ton of good information in there. So episode four forty eight of Bigger Pockets is a is a must listen to for sure. Yeah, it's Dion McNeely. Um, but yeah, so with that, we kind of wanted. I know we've had a lot of guests on. We haven't had to do a ton of the MLS analysis, but we wanted to kind of hop into that. And there's a a really good listing that we just saw that came up in Abington, um, PA. That it's a duplex and. Caleb's going to break down some of his numbers. He actually created his own whole Excel sheet that for doing deal analysis and like we're, we'll tell you where you can kind of find that yeah. after we're done with the analysis. But it's it's pretty simple and pretty straightforward. So when you're looking at a property, it's just how much income can you estimate it's going to bring in? How much expenses are you going to estimate to come out? And then how much money are you going to require to put into it to close the deal, your cash to close? And then, you know, running through all those numbers, I do this pretty often when I see a listing on the MLS. I just got to crunch the numbers, see if it's a good deal or not. Just, you know, do those reps to, you know, eventually as I do this, I've been noticing I've been able to see whether or not it's going to be a good deal based before putting it in. Yeah, strictly based off of yeah the price and the units. And then you're like, it's not even close. I'm not even going to bother running the numbers. Yeah, like, okay, a two bedrooms going for twelve hundred. There's two of them in Souderton and they're asking 400,000 for it. That's not going to work. Yeah. It's not like, even close. Y- you can just see that and, and no. Um, and, but there's always that flexibility, you know, sometimes it'll be like a little high, the numbers might kind of work, but then you, you know, you might have a little leverage if it's been on the market. So we're going to get into this one. Caleb will break down some of the, the numbers. Well, I guess before we go into the numbers, we can start looking at the actual listing itself. So for this one, Address is 2477 Brookdale Avenue in Abington. It's got a two bed, one bath, and a one bed, one bath duplex, and it's an up down split. So, whenever you see an up down split, you know, your water is most likely all going to be tied in together and be one single line. So, just something you can see off the bat with those. It's really rare to have split waters with an up down duplex. And with this one, we have comped it using just other real estate websites like Zillow and apartments.com, apartments.com rent.com. We check these to see what 
rentals are going for in the area at specific square feet and bed and bath. So we kind of just ballpark it. We try and find what's a comparable rental in the area that we can use to estimate how much can we get for these rentals. And doing that, we just used uh, apartments.com for this one. We found some places that have similar setups and we comped the two bed, one bath at 1500 bucks a month. And then the one bed, one bath at 1200 bucks a month. So, so yeah, the, the comps that we used for this one, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't actually any available on the market that weren't in apartment complexes. So that's a big plus, you know, that's going to increase, increase your value significantly. And like, we were looking at this one dump of an apartment building. The oh. one bedroom apartment was 1195 and the two bedroom was 1495 in this apartment complex. So we're giving like generous numbers saying 1200 in a standalone duplex for the one bedroom and 1500 for the standalone two bedroom once it's you know rehabbed and stuff and in, in good shape it's uh it could be significantly higher than that but we're trying to just play safe numbers for now for sure so that like that puts your you know 1500 for the two bed one bath 1200 for the one bed one bath that puts your gross monthly you know estimated income at you know 2700 bucks a month and when we read the listing, they actually specified that by the time of sale, the whole place is going to be vacant, which is which is super nice when you, one, want to claim residency, and two, if they're underpaying market value for a rundown unit. So you can, you know, have, granted, like, you're not going to have income right away when you buy the place, but if you have enough reserves and you can, you know, start working immediately, you can have it turned around a lot faster than waiting for, you know, a rent termination and all that kind of stuff. And, and that, the number, like that's such a good crunch when you're not getting any rents in. So like for this place, we definitely recommend you claiming residency in the one bed because you, you know, your mortgage is going to be closer up to, up to the two bed rent amount. So, you know, you want to collect the most that you can. So, but now that crunch, you've got if, if you don't get it turned over in a month, you're paying the, the whole mortgage again that you're losing whatever that mortgage payment is. So like if it takes two months, you're losing two. If it takes three months, you're losing three. Like that adds up. The sooner that that thing is turned over, the sooner you're eliminating that payment. So, you know, if, if your, let's say your capabilities are, you can maybe get half of the one unit done or a majority, some stuff in the one month and it would cost you you know, let's say a thousand bucks to hire someone else to come help you full time and get it done in that month, you're saving that mortgage payment of 1500. So like that makes sense to do. Yeah, absolutely. And that cost stacks up every single month it takes you to not get tenants in there is, you know, taking right out of your profits. So the, you know, there is time is of the essence with these when you're buying them and rehabbing them to rent them out. Like you want to get them done ASAP. And that's why personally, I, you know, like when we talk about this working super late nights, the reason why we do that is to get it done as soon as possible. And you also have to factor in when a lease can start, which is like the first of the month. So if you, well, you have, can start a lease anytime in the you month. You can definitely. It's, it's just nicer like, to have everyone do on the first of the month and then it's, that's your day. Yep. But you know, you can start a lease any day of the month and it, it makes no difference. Yep. But. So, you know, setting that timetable, you want to just like aim for that. And, you know, worst case scenario, if you're a day or two late, you know, is what it is. You know, you just have to write that down in your calendar. But going back to the expenses for this place. So this is listed currently at $214,900 for this duplex. 
and we actually um, are running the numbers on a product offered by KeyBank. They gave us some a, a, some pretty good numbers. It's only required 5% down, and to specify, this is only a first-time home buyer program. So if you already own a property, um, you know this wouldn't you wouldn't qualify for this. But it's it's actually a pretty solid deal. You pay 1% higher on the interest rate over the lifetime of the loan but you are only required 5% down and there's no PMI. So you save that money, which, you know, there's some PMI calculators online and depending on what your credit score is, you know, that can actually be a significant amount of money each month that you're paying. So that would take that out. And we actually ran the numbers both ways looking at it. And, you know, over the short term, you are saving a little bit of money, you know, not paying PMI versus, you know, using a traditional loan where you are paying it. So with that extra 1% interest rate. So well, we go ahead, Jake. Yeah. So the the thing with the key the key bank loan is during all this COVID stuff, it's been a lot harder for banks and to approve five percent down for a duplex or something like that. What Key Bank is doing is they're they're taking this loan on the chin. That Key Bank is going to hold your loan for the lifetime of it, and they're going to make their money where. Normally, the the PMI that's required, like all those other regulations through normal lenders, they don't have those same rules because they're not selling your mortgage to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Yep. The banks, traditionally, when you get a conventional loan through a bank, they have all these stipulations given to them by, you know, the huge, massive mortgage companies, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They say, in order for us to buy this loan from you, the bank, you need to meet all these criteria. So that's why they have so much stuff for you to meet yourself to get approved for the loan. But when the these banks offer it through themselves where they hold the loan, you can be a little more flexible. Granted, you'll pay a little bit more for it, you know, with that extra 1% interest rate over the lifetime of the loan. But for a 5% down on a multifamily that's going to generate you income, it it's, makes sense every day of the week. So we- the, the other program, so so I was, I was reaching out to a couple local banks because I was trying to figure some some financing out for myself personally, but I was asking all these banks I was talking to, like, what other programs do you offer? What stuff do you have for first-time home buyers? And like KeyBank, this lady I was talking to, Annie, she's super helpful, and she she broke down that. She broke down for first-time home buyers. What was it for single-family houses? It was zero percent down, and the same one percent extra on the interest rate. And their debt to income ratio was 45%. So when we were talking about the USDA loan on, I think it was, what was that, episode two or something? Episode two or three? The, that was another zero down program. But your debt to income was like 30%. So that's going back saying, okay, I make 3000 a month. Your mortgage can't exceed $1,000 a month. That really limits you. With, with that buying power, especially if it's something with zero zero down, you know, your mortgage payment is going to be much higher opposed to 20% down. So now, even if you had a, in our area, if you found a $100,000 house, you know, that would still kind of be hard to, to afford. Maybe 100000 I'm sure you could, but like 150, 200 in that range that we're looking at, you won't, you can't afford it that way. But now with a 45%, if you make three grand a month, that's closer to fifteen hundred that you're able to afford. So same same thing. I'm not saying go go buy a house. I'm if it's not going to make you money, but 
if you go out and you buy a house and you're planning on renting rooms, this is another really great program that KeyBank is offering. So yeah, I definitely, definitely, definitely worth looking into. And um, and also shop around as well. So like they change their product offerings as the market changes as well. So like it's a good idea to like just look up on Google Maps, just banks in your area, get their phone number, shoot them a call, see who will talk to you, see if you can get some product offerings. Because at the end of the day, you are a customer to them and they make money off of you. So you're not going and begging for money from them. You're trying to make them money. So you just have to look at it that way that you're a customer and you're trying to pick a service provider. That service is being financing. Yeah. So just... Sorry, I have one more kind of quick tip when you are going to shop around those things. They're all going to ask you, you know, a lot of information for your personal info and stuff like that. And everyone, like I can't emphasize emphasize this enough, make sure they're not running a credit check on you and giving you a pre-approval if you're not ready. Because each one of each bank that does that is another hard inquiry. It's going to hit your credit score. And I've seen it happen. Like you don't do that. Just find out what programs they're offering. If you can tell them your credit score, you know, you can tell them your income, but just make sure that Yeah, if they ask for your social, you know, don't give them yeah. your social pretty much cuz they'll they'll hit you real hard and then they'll ding your credit, which then makes the, the cost, next one yeah, a lot harder. Yeah, the next like the lower your credit score, the higher loans cost. So, you know, something you got to be really careful with and for this house we're doing with the MLS analysis numbers here, we're just going to use the 5% down payments so that of that initial listing price of $214,000, we take 5% down, which is a little over $10,000 you're paying. And then the loan amount, you know, you subtract those two numbers. Um, I just use the mortgage calculator on Google to, you know, get a rough estimate of like what you're going to be paying for principal and interest. We're going to post this calculator on our Facebook group once we're which we're done here. So you can, you know, reference the notes right from the MLS analysis, see exactly what we're talking about. Understand following numbers can be kind of hard on a podcast. So we'll give you all the resources here, the links and everything. So you can do all this yourself, you know, just even looking on Zillow, you can find out all the information you need going forward. The PMI, like we said, that's $0, you know, insurance we're estimating from our prior deals around 75 bucks a month. Taxes, they're a little bit high for this place. $430 $430 a month, that is a little steep. And then utilities were shooting a little bit high since water isn't separated. You're looking at about 150 bucks a month. So all those numbers aside, every month for this place, you're estimating $1,600 in expenses. So what we talked about earlier with once you have those units fully fixed up and rented out for market rents, you're looking at $2,700 a month coming in. And then from those expenses, $1,600 leaving every month. So, you know, subtract those two. That's $1,100 in cash flow once the place is fully rented out. Granted, while you're living there, it won't, you know, of course, you're going to be living in one of those units. It's not going to be 100%. But if you have the two bed, one bath rented out while you're living there, you know, you're looking at only spending about 100 bucks every month. Or like we said, like we shot low. List it for sixteen. List it for seventeen hundred. Yeah. See what you get. If if you can be positive, you know, if if no one you know responds, everyone thinks it's too high, then you know, yeah. get, move on. But someone will rent it, and if if someone will give you seventeen hundred bucks a month, and you can pay all your expenses plus a hundred bucks a month, give it a shot. You know, the worst thing that can happen is they say no. Yeah. You know? 
and then you know i guess worst case would be you have to spend another month on mortgage also true <laughs> so careful with that one you know don't shoot too high and then get stuck with no pool of tenants to choose from or worse a horrible pool of tenants to choose from and you're stuck with that person for a year and with a huge headache so it's something you gotta think about there and running the numbers again we're Cash to um, cash on cash return is a well. What's our what's our down payment yet? Did we go over that? Yeah, five percent. Five percent down is ten thousand seven hundred and fifty bucks. And then what are we thinking for closing costs? Yeah, closing costs are kind of up to whatever bank you're using, but a good estimate is just double your down payment. That's kind of like around. If, if we're this low, I think if we're if you're putting twenty percent down, I don't think you're doubling that. Yeah, but most likely. Yeah. For five percent, I think if we're looking at ten grand, that's kind of fair. Yep. And the, so from like deals we've done, that's pretty similar to like what we paid out of pocket, and you know that's going to put the closing costs, you know, at you know twenty one thousand dollars or cash to close. So you know it's pretty affordable. Of course, that the one thing that we didn't really dive into yet is the cost of rehabbing this place. And from the pictures, it definitely needs some work. It looks like it hasn't been taken care of in a little bit. And depending on, you know, your ability to fix it up yourself, you're going to greatly vary how much money you spend. Like you could using like my experience, I had only put $3,000 in to rehab my entire house. Whereas if I had hired contractors, that probably would have been ten dollars to $15,000 at the end of the day. Based on these pictures, it looked pretty similar to Caleb's, maybe in a little bit of worse shape. So if you want to, you know, estimate 15 for hiring it out and five for doing a lot yourself, again, there's 11 pictures on the listing. Yeah. Most of them are outside. There's, I think, three pictures of the interior. Unless you go in and take a look. You're never going to know. And another big tip is if you don't know what you're looking for, bring someone with you who yep, does. Absolutely. It's it's super important to be able to like get as much information as possible during that walkthrough. Like you're, you're talking about an agreement over 30 years where you're going to be, you know, long holding this house and dealing with all the problems that come up, you know, using the strategy of holding rentals. So you want to make sure that you get all the leverage you can get when you're going through the seller negotiations, because if you find a ton of stuff wrong with the place, you know, you can use that as your benefit to spend less money. So we, uh, we've hinted at this topic before. We're going to be putting a lot more effort into explaining it more. And that's just seller assistance. And that's when you have a, you have a threshold of, of a percentage. That's the maximum that a seller is allowed to pay you to buy their property. And that, all that money goes towards your closing costs for this. I think it was like up to, if you're putting 3% down and like these numbers are a little rough, but it's, if you're putting 3% down or lower or 5% down and lower, you're eligible for up to 3%. If you're putting up to 24%, so that five yeah, that's right. to 24% is up to 6%, 25% and over that you put down is 9%, yeah. up to 9%. So each one of those things, you know, for me, per, me and Caleb personally, we beat up the price in the beginning. We made it contingent on inspections. Then in our reply to inspections, we put in the seller's assist for a, a little more money to take off of the down payment. And it's just off the down payment. It's just off the cash to close. It's not off the purchase price. And when you do that, it's, it makes a huge difference. Like Caleb got 10 grand... Or, 10 or 11 grand yeah, back. Yeah, 10, five back. It was the max seller assist because, you know, we found like the roof was really old 
and there's a bunch of stuff that just needed to be cleaned up and other odds and ends. And I just wrote up a seller assist request, sent it to my buying agent. He sent it to a listing agent. We got the text that they approved it and then boom, $10,500 back in my pocket, you know, after closing the deal. So it's the best kind of money you can get, you know, money in your pocket right now. So yeah. it's not like it takes off 10,000 from the lifetime of the loan because you're going to see probably only a few dollars a month difference over the lifetime of that loan, you know, as you're paying it off. But this is right up, you know, your closing costs are cut by $10,000 for this, for my circumstance. So it really helped me out to be able to afford the rehab costs. So, you know, you, you got a lot of wiggle room in these numbers and, you know, you're going to, it depends on your abilities as well. If you want to really dive headfirst into this and learn how to do the rehab yourself, it's not that complicated. It just takes a lot of time. There's no easy way out. It's just stuff you have to pick up one thing at a time and figure it out. So yeah, we're looking at if you did have to pay somebody, you know, fifteen thousand dollars to rehab, you know, you'd be almost forty grand out of pocket to get this house up and running, which is a good chunk of change. Versus, you know, if you are doing it yourself, estimating five thousand in material cost, you know, you're only talking twenty six thousand dollars. So and let's say for that, you end up getting a seller's assist for yep. Six thousand dollars, you know, Which, twenty grand. That's putting us at that the situation we were talking about in the beginning. Like, is twenty grand actually realistic to do this? And it's like, yeah, absolutely. It is. And you really got to like talk to your like circle of support, people around you. Grant, if you're from an, a cert, like a, an area where you know no one has any money and you're just scraping by to save that twenty thousand, maybe you want to just get a little bit more before doing it. But if you have people around you who would you know in dire need be able to give you you know, a few grand to pay for paint and stuff for your house. You know, you want to use everything you can to get started because if you're young, you're just getting into the workforce. You're not expected to have hundreds of thousands of dollars in reserves to pay for all this stuff. So, you know, there's always ways to get creative with your financing. And, you know, with this, with this deal, your return on your cash going into it is, is really high. So having only $26,000 put into this deal and then with the income that we talked about of $1,100 each month, you know, you're talking like a 50% cash on cash return. So that's super high. Your entire investments pay back in two years, two a years. little a little more with 1100 But yeah. yeah, no, it's that those are the deals that me and Caleb are doing. And again, like we're doing it based on the numbers of the second year. You're by you living there for a year is that cost to get you that cash on cash, but it's worth it. You're living for free or practically for free. So yeah. it's still saving. Um, and but especially then, yeah, if you're paying rent now as well, like right. getting into that house, you're going to be saving so much money and having, you know, only a $200, you know, monthly bill or a 100, if you can get a higher amount, you know, you're going to be save your savings rates going to increase. And then you can then increase your income snowball and then get more properties faster. So like I noticed that myself, I was only paying, like I said, $350 a month living at my parents' house. Now I get net positive like $50 a month. So it's a big difference for my savings rate, only that $400 difference. Right. So one other thing that I really like about this property is the location. Abington, you know, we've been staying farther away from the city, but the closer you go, the more rents are increasing, the more people that are trying to move out of the city, but still work in the city, even if people up here work in the city and make that commute and you know shortening that commute makes that place a lot more valuable so i see a lot of uh what's it, appreciation yeah, definitely appreciation potential. there for sure and you know we can't ever calculate what that's going to be but 
one thing we can do is just use previous data to figure out, you know, is it going to go up or is it going to go down? And all the data shows it's going to go up. So over the long term, of course. So, you know, we're not saying you're going to buy this house and in two years you can flip it for money. You know, we're saying by the time the end of your 30 years is up, that's going to be worth more money. For so, sure. You know, for sure. definitely a, a good long term play. So is it possible to get into real estate with $20,000? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's possible. You're going to have to find the right deal to make it happen, but there's no reason to say that you can't do it without more than that. Yeah. So I just wanted to kind of circle back and talk a little bit more about the seller's assist because what we were describing was kind of how we've been using it so far. And I just wanted to speak to everyone, you know, on the house hunt now, especially for single family houses. You know, it is a tough market. You know, everything is going above asking. It's hard to be competitive, especially if you have a budget. And, you know, I was thinking personally for myself, kind of ways for me to afford a down payment without claiming residency and buying it strictly as an investment property. You know, I, I would be banking on that seller's assist. And like, you don't want to be banking on the seller's assist because a lot of the times, you know, you go into it, you do the inspections, and then in the reply to inspections is when you offer. But you you're able to put that in in your initial offer. You can offer, you know, let's say 10 grand more on the asking price and ask for a 10 grand seller's assist. You're still at the same asking price, but you're putting $10,000 less on your down payment. So it's a it's definitely a tool and I don't think it's talked about a lot because it's like, well wait, I'm putting either 210 or 220 and getting 10 back. What's the difference? The difference is huge. You know, 10 grand now, if you, you can't come up with 10 extra grand, this is the solution. Your mortgage will be incrementally higher off of 10 grand, maybe the most $100 a month, but you're saving that 10 grand now. And if your cash, if your rents can cover that cost, that's a no brainer. Especially now with how low interest rates are, like you're getting that $10,000 over the lifetime of the loan for cheap. Like we're talking in like inflation rates you know, where they're saying the average is like 3% or whatever, and you're getting it for like under three, you know, that's, that's a no brainer. And then you get that padding on your deal now of an extra $10,000 to use for whatever the rehab is, whatever goes wrong with the property, you know, you get all that extra capital reserves to make sure you don't get stuck and go underwater on your first deal. It's, it's extremely useful. Yeah. And right now I'm working with a buyer. We're looking at single family houses and, you know, I just kind of was thinking about the strategy for myself personally. And now we're implementing it on the offers that we're putting in now because they're, they're working with a budget and it's a hot market. It's a hot market. It's hard. Like what are those things that can set you apart? And, you know, you can waive your contingencies now because you're already getting what you could get if you found something in the inspection that was going to tank it, not everything, like it, it could definitely get worse, but a lot, of, most of these places in this range that we're looking at right now, they're all, they're a lot of cash offers over asking and with no contingencies. And like both of my properties, I had contingencies in for inspection. Caleb's property, he had contingencies in for inspection, but the multifamily market, there's not as many sharks, you know, fighting after the same thing as the single family market right now. So it's Which just is, something for everyone, no matter what you're looking to do with real estate, it's something to put in your, your toolkit. Pretty your much. Toolkit. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's just another option to use. And when you're running up a little bit short on a deal, you know, maybe it's a good thing to 
throw that in there so that way you know like say if the deal is going to cost you cash to close $21,000 and you have $21,400 in your bank account you know maybe it's a good idea to throw that in there so you're not walking away with $400 to pay for your rehab because that's going to be tight exactly so no that i i really like this deal personally if that's somewhere that you want to live and you know you're a little handy because it's it's going to take some work i i for sure love this place and i would definitely recommend checking it out but so so kind of segueing out of that you know this excel sheet that caleb's made we we're going to be posting that in the facebook group that we just made it's the young slumlord podcast on Facebook. It's open to everyone. You know, you don't have to request to join or anything like that. You can just hop right in. You know, we've got a decent amount of friends in it so far. And the point of it is now we have kind of a space. Like I I didn't want to be spamming all my friends and family who like doesn't care about financial independence, doesn't care about real estate, which like, why wouldn't you? But (laughs) <laughs> you know, I get some people don't and don't want to see it on their timeline all the time. So we wanted to get off of our personal stuff and we wanted to get somewhere where now this community that we're talking about trying to build like that have me and Caleb have just been in group chats with and texting, you know, it opens the door for more participation, more people to get kind of active in there and field questions. Like it, if you, if we didn't say something in one of the episodes, like, and, or we said something and they didn't add up or, you know you wanted clarification on something like that's the perfect place because it's not just me and Caleb who can answer it. It's everyone in the group. So we were collectively way more smarter than just one person. And then of course, like if somebody has a question and we answer it and a bunch of other people have the same question, we can make sure that everyone sees those answers as well. So yeah, we're, we're hoping to like a little, make it more public on our responses to people. So that way we can reach more people without having to individually text right. dozens and dozens of people all day. Right. And like kind of the, so the start of this, it's, it's funny, you know, we had Sean come on the, the podcast the other day and he, he had been on Craig's show and, you know, we're both doing podcasts. We're much newer. And, you know, I listened to both podcasts. They were both great. And I asked Sean, like, what's something that we might be able to do to be better and he said something that the other show did that we didn't was they have a social media presence and they have you know they're able to like some a guest comes on and give them a shout out because now all of our followers can now follow them and see kind of what they're doing add value to them get value from them and like everyone kind of grows together so like i made an instagram group the the young slumlord podcast there's like underscores between each word and you know, we follow a ton of other real estate posts, all of our friends, you know, we're, we're having more people come on there. And I posted it on Facebook. And then people on Facebook were like, dude, like we want to see this stuff, but we're not on Instagram. And I was like, all right, a Facebook group would be cool too. And like, now it's kind of answering both questions. We can stay up to date, like keep everyone posted when the new episodes are coming out and, you know, just keep kind of the traction going because the more people we have listening the more people who subscribe to the shows, the more people who leave reviews and ratings on the show, like it enhances our reputation, which gives us the ability to bring better guests on for you guys. So the more work that you guys do, like just put it, leaving a review, like writing a review, leaving a rating, subscribing, doing that stuff. I don't want to be like, yo, this is Kyle, smash the subscribe button and like (laughs) bombard everyone every week with that. Like, that's just annoying. But like for the people that are 
that have been listening or, and are gaining some type of value from it, no matter what it is, if, if you were to do that, it's going to just increase our guests. It's going to increase the influence of our guests, the bigger time guests that like we're really trying to get on the show and that can bring the most value to everyone. And I think there's a lot of people like in the industry of real estate who like haven't done any of the circuits, you know, going on podcast to podcast, talking about their experience. There's a lot of people in this industry and there's a ton of super valuable information that they've learned through their experience that we can hopefully get them to tell about on these episodes. So we're constantly trying to find people to come on the show. So if you know anybody in, who's been around in real estate, definitely let us know. You know, we're open to have guests on. Uh, we do in person if you're in the area or Zoom if you're not. Or, you know, if you want to do Zoom, either one works for us. So we're open for any potential guests on here. And we're constantly looking ourselves to try and provide the most value because experience is everything in this industry. So, if, you know, if we can get somebody who's done something you know, that we can learn from, you know, everybody else can learn from it as well. So exactly. we're actively trying to get all that to, over to you guys. Exactly. So with that, smash that subscribe button, <laughs> give us a rating, you know. But yeah, no, thanks everyone for listening, man. We'll, uh, we'll see you guys next week. We got a cool guest lined up for next week and um, peace.